it. <laughs> I had an awkward pause there. I just got back from Mexico, and uh, I was 10 days down there on a survey trip, and I was working through an interpreter. So that was the interpreter's pause right there. <laughs> so I'll just keep going this morning. Uh, I did just the reverse of that, and I was down in Mexico, and in the spring, and it was a Mennonite church, and uh, Germans, saved Germans. And uh, I got up, and they look. They didn't look Hispanic, obviously. An interpreter was right there. And uh, so I just started going, and he says, Brother, stop, 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 because I thought they could understand me. Obviously, they can't, so I'll get it right yet. So my name is Dave Darling with the Campaigns for Christ, and I'll just give you a, a re real brief testimony here about myself and kind of what led to, uh, well, me being here this morning. Uh, I was saved in 1988. I grew up, my wife and I both grew up in religious but lost homes. And somebody, I actually invited myself to church in a roundabout way. Heard a clear presentation of the gospel for the first time in my life of Pastor Kyle Stevens back in 1988. And uh, about a couple nights later, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And it wasn't an earth-shattering event. It wasn't something out of a chick comic book or anything like that. But I knew what Lord did in my life after that, that I got saved at that time. And two months later, um, my wife was saved, and we've just been going to church ever since then. And I thank the Lord he got me in a good Bible-believing church right away. And I'm great, internally grateful for that. And at that time, we had this one young, uh, young son, about a year and a half. And uh, since then, the Lord blessed us with six children. And they're all, praise God, serving the Lord and, and, uh, in church. And I didn't get my first mission trip till 1999, and that was in Russia. So I guess if you're going to take a first mission trip, just go big and go to Russia, right? And I went over there, and I always had a burden for missions. Ever since shortly after I got saved, we had a missionary family staying with us, and I just plowed through missionary book after missionary book. And so when I heard about a campaign by the Couriers of Christ going to Russia and distributing a million New Testaments along the Volga River, uh, the Lord just pricked my heart. And I went home and told my wife, and I said, I was at prayer meeting, and uh, this guy, Don Sturch, was leading a group over there. And uh, we were going to go on summer vacation that summer, and I said, well, you know, if I do that, I, we can't go on vacation. She says, don't worry about it. We'll go some other time. And so it was a life-changing event for me. Uh, we went about 800 miles east of Moscow to the town of Samara, and we met people on the street uh, that had never seen an American before. And there we are, and handing out New Testaments, and he still got the statue of Lenin up. It's a wild thing, wild thing. We were in a communist, uh, we were in a big hall they rented, probably five, 800 people there. They still had all the communist propaganda all around it, and this man's preaching, preaching, a, uh, preaching the gospel. And Russians always stand up to pray. Whenever they pray, they stand up. So it got to be towards the end, and almost the whole congregation stood up, the whole, whole auditorium. And so I stood up. And she says, brother, no, sit down. She says, those people are standing up to get saved. And so that changed my life. And uh, since then, I was kind of tagged along with the couriers for 19 years, uh, 20 years or so, went on 19 campaigns with them as a team leader. And through the end of that time, I also started going down to Bering Precious Seed in El Paso, Texas, and making trips into Mexico. And the thought occurred to me, and the Lord prepared my heart, you know, why can't we do these campaigns like that, like they're doing in Eastern Europe in Mexico? So in 2019, uh, we did our first mission trip down there. And let me explain real quickly what a campaign is. Basically, the whole purpose of us going to these foreign countries is not just to visit a missionary or anything, which is all fine. But our main focus is to get out mass quantities of the Word of God. And so we hand out John and Romans. 
that have a, and with that, they have invitation to attend an evangelistic service. It's like these here from Mexico. They have the, you know, something Mexican on the front. And a list of about 25 pastors on the back that when they find this John Romans later, they can follow up with those pastors. We do the same thing in Malawi. So that's our main goal is to go over there and distribute the, distribute the scriptures, invite them to evangelistic service where they can get preaching the word of God, and uh, then the missionaries and national pastors can follow up on it. So Lord burned my heart to do that. We did our first campaign in, near Chihuahua, Mexico in 2019. And 2020 was just a blank, you know. But then 21, we kept going, went to Mexico, to Brazil. We've done eight campaigns since we started. And we've done three in Malawi, Africa already. And the Lord has truly opened the doors up there. As you see in this video coming up, it's mostly shots of Malawi. And we started working there in our first campaign. We gave out 100,000 scriptures. We ran out. We did one in spring of this year. We handed out 247,000 John Romans. And then this, uh, and we ran out of 223,000 in Blantyre here. So it's just an amazing, amazing thing. Um, we had several days. We had uh, three days in particular on those two campaigns where he handed out 70,000 scriptures. And uh, we just, uh, trucks and trucks full of scriptures. And you just hand them out. And you'll see in the video here, uh, some of the, couple of the meetings, we had one meeting that was attended by up to 5,000 people. And so it's just something, God's doing something big in Malawi. And we're also going to Mexico this winter. And uh, this, we'll be handing these out. We have 200,000 John Romans being shipped down shortly of those. And then the Malawi ones, uh, have a you know a map of Malawi in the back and all the all the uh, pastures over there, so that's what we're trying to do and uh, what we're doing. What I reason just recently I started presenting the ministry in churches to raise uh, funds for lo the logistical support of the ministry. In other words, we do campaigns in Malawi. They cost a lot of money. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know rent renting the stage, printing 200 and some thousand invitations. All that, of course, takes money. The Mexico ones, they don't cost as much, and we, you know, works out with that. But so that's where, that's why, uh, why I'm on the, on the, uh, visiting these churches and doing that. I used to have a business. I work full time as well, and so the any money raised is not for me. It's it's for the ministry. So we're going to start the video here in just a little bit. But just been real thankful about what the Lord has allowed us to do over these years, and uh, since we started, we've had about. A um, hundred different people go on the, on these campaigns, and about 160 different slots were made, you know, uh, available for them. And this next year, we'll probably have about 90 or so. So, but we can go ahead and start this video. You'll see a couple things here. Uh, there's one scene of a printing press, and uh, and it's running on a lower speed, which is still very fast. And uh, those 70,000 days we had over there, when you see them running off this press, that's how fast we're handing them out. Another shot will be of a truck, a little truck filled with scripture. That was for the afternoon. Just give you a little perspective of uh, what's going on over there. So, Campaigns for Christ acknowledges Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As a direct command from our Lord to not only present the clear gospel to our communities, but also to other countries. This also includes God's precious words to be received in the hands of those we encounter. The burden of campaigns to Christ is to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins, which can only be done by the grace of God and those he uses to distribute the mass quantities of his word with an invitation to attend an evangelistic meeting near them. Recent campaigns have been held in Mexico. 
Malawi, Africa, and Brazil. With the billions of souls in this world who live their lives having no hope and without God in this world, we've come to realize the need of utilizing more aggressive methods while there is still time. To accomplish this, Campaigns for Christ has six main objectives. To coordinate with a missionary or national pastor to host a scripture distribution campaign. Bring a team of 18 to 25 people from Baptist churches in the U.S. and Canada to the city that is hosting the campaign. There, we will distribute tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands, customized John and Roman scriptures, along with an invitation to attend an evangelistic meeting. We encourage the host Ding Church and missionaries or pastors as we work alongside them in distributing the Word of God daily. Help establish a new local church or strengthen the existing one. Help finance, follow up, and organize discipleship training. In some cases, assist in the training of national pastors. Help the campaign team members to have a renewed vision for missions and for reaching the lost in their very own hometowns. The Campaigns for Christ Ministries will strive to ensure that these mission trips are as effective as possible in order to reach as many lost souls while we still have the time. All hotel arrangements, meals, and transportation from a U.S. departure point are arranged and coordinated by the CFC staff and are included in the price. We want to equip the campaign team members to have a very productive and fruitful experience where they can focus on doing God's work without the distractions of their daily routines. Our desire is that they will return home with a renewed, God-centered, selfless focus to serve within their local church. During our three most recent campaigns in Malawi, Africa, we were able to distribute a total of 570,000 John and Roman scriptures, and over 10,000 souls came to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Several hundred received the Lord as their Savior and signed up for the 12-week discipleship course. Over the years, we have seen thousands of lives which have been eternally impacted for the glory of God through scripture distribution campaigns. It may be common for some Christians to feel it is the duty of mission boards and missionaries to reach the lost in other countries. However, this is truly the responsibility of all Christians. The Great Commission is not specific to a select group. It is specific to all Christians. We all have the duty and responsibility to reach the lost for our Lord Jesus Christ. The Campaigns for Christ Ministries' primary focus is to provide that opportunity on a large scale in a foreign country. Will you consider setting aside 10 to 14 days of your time to join us or to support us regularly with your prayers or finances? How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? 
and how shall they hear without a preacher? My name is Seth Townsend. I'm from Bible Believers Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon. I'm Pastor Ryan Gunther, Victory Baptist Church from Heartland, Michigan. Yep. My name is Raymond Blue. I just thank God that I was saved many years ago, 73 years old. Hi, my name is Chad Reese. I'm the pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church in Lincoln Park, Michigan. My name is Jonathan Hazard. Um, I'm just really blessed to be a part of these campaigns. My name is Alex Mwenegifungwe. Uh, we thank you, you guys, because of the campaign of forecast. My name is Kyle Stevens. I'm the pastor of Blessed Hope Baptist Church. My name is Tara Dare. I'm here with Campaigns for Christ. I'm from Pensacola, Florida at Bible Baptist Church. My name is Joe Stevens. I am from Denver, Colorado, New Heights Baptist Church. Hi, my name is DJ Doherty. I'm with Lighthouse Baptist Church in Lincoln Park, Michigan. Hi, my name is Daniel Nirenda. I'm, the, I'm a pastor for Charity Baptist Church. My name is Peter Kaiser. I'm from Lighthouse Baptist Church, Lincoln Park, Michigan. My name is Alyssa Moore. I'm from um, Bible Baptist uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Just, just blessed to be here in Africa, Lord, with uh, with the Campaign for Christ. It's just an honor and a privilege to to be with these folks here, Lord. And I just, you know, I just thank you, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you just keep your hand on Campaign for Christ. And by the end of the week, we'll be giving out over 300,000 John and Romans and tracts. It's a great blessing to serve alongside fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the Lord really blessed me. I had a lot of reservations and fears um, leading up to the trip, but praise the Lord. Brother Darling let me in last minute. Um, Jesus Christ, he saved me um, eight years ago. I, I, I was hopeless. I was a sinner and needed a savior. I was a drug addict. I'm also happy that in this campaign we had people who have dis whom we were discipling in Lilongwe who have actually come along with us to actually work with us and see uh, the, the impact of the campaigns and they are excited, they're going back home. Could ever get free to go, uh, to spend the money to go, you'll not see anything like this as far as we know in the United States of America. And so we very much uh, appreciate the, the campaigns. All the work that uh, Pastor and Missionary David Robinson's doing. They even had said, um, don't even come down if you're not convicted. And yet you, we had hundreds and hundreds come down just to get saved. It's nothing like I've ever experienced to see a couple hundred people run to an altar and want to get saved and want to have a church put in their village. They're asking for churches. My name is David Robinson and uh, this message goes out to individuals and pastors all over the United States and all over the world who may be considering supporting the Ministry of Campaigns for Christ. As a missionary, uh, I've labored in this country for over 15 years, and the Lord has helped us in so many ways, um, enabled us to start churches, discipleship groups, obviously lots of soul winning, and these are the, the, the works that we labor in on a daily basis. Um, but from the standpoint of a missionary who has been here, done that, labored, and worked in this country, I've never seen anything as powerful as bringing in these campaigns to come and just strengthen our hands in the work, to help us, and to push the ministries along. And if they're conducted right, I would encourage missionaries all over the world to consider contacting Brother Darling finding out how you can arrange a, mission, a missions trip to your country. Uh, and if you're a pastor and you're looking to support a ministry that's gonna actually have a real impact, 
uh, have an actual, be a real help uh, to ministries around the world, I really would encourage you to consider sending people from your church on a campaign, send support on a monthly basis if you possibly can. Uh, it's an investment. It's a great investment in what the Lord's doing around the world. This is the third uh, campaign that we've done here, and we have just seen so much fruit. Not only the, the souls won, not only over half a million scriptures uh, given out around the country, uh, but beyond that, the fellowship and the preaching. We have preaching every morning, uh, just the, the amazing uh, times of fellowship. It's just like a, a, a miniature just revival. And uh, it's such a blessing to our family. It's such a blessing to the, the work here. And I would highly, highly encourage you to consider supporting Campaigns for Christ. Hi, I'm Dave Darling, director of the Campaigns for Christ. And we're just uh, finishing up our third evangelistic campaign here in Malawi, Africa. And there's, by due to the prayers of all the people back home, it was a tremendous success. We handed out all our 227,000 John and Romans and over 70,000 gospel tracts. So I'm just really thankful for all the people back home praying, for all the people that support uh, in, in financially the campaign to Christ. And I urge you, uh, if you're sitting there at home and want to come to a place where you can stand with boxes of scripture and have, I've had not even five people refuse the gospel of uh, uh, John and Romans this week and the whole week. So if you want to come and get a lot of scripture out, uh, love to have you come. Uh, thank you. We saw there a little bit of what's going on over there, and it's hard to capture on a short video, but uh, kind of a little more hindsight to it, a little more insight to it. Uh, Brother David Robinson there has organized a group of four men he's worked with for 10 years or more. So the five of them are going, and they're doing all the discipling of uh, the, the people that get saved at, the, at those meetings. And like he meant, that one uh, Brother Daniel mentioned, uh, we had people from the first campaign in April come down, some of them, and help us on the second campaign. And so they're going through a 12-week um, discipleship training every Saturday for six hours a day. And uh, about partway through it, then they take them out soul winning and do some evangelism. So these are some really, really good uh, new converts that are being discipled properly. And right now, this weekend, he's doing a pastor's training seminar where there's about 60 pastors from around the country. He's doing a three-day uh, blitz of just giving them the, you know, the doctrine and giving them good teachings. He's, 
these, these churches are starting up these fellowships and they're asking questions like, okay, how do we hold church service? What's, what songs do we sing? And that sort of thing. And so they have the right heart about it. Uh, in one meeting they had with the new converts, you know, they're, they're one, they, they watch the, the men uh, through the discipleship training. And they see which of the men are just trying to have a servant's attitude or really getting the material and all that sort of thing. And then hopefully put them in charge of one of the fellowships. And then hopefully it'll grow, prayfully grow into a, a local church. So uh, just a real good thing that's going on there. And uh, it's a blessing to be a part of. I have a, when I say we started, had the burden for Latin America. In my finite little mind, I thought, well, we'll go across the border and, and have a campaign and hand out 20,000, 30,000 scriptures. You know, I thought that was, that would be great, you know. But the Lord was far different. I never thought I'd have a spreadsheet with multiple containers going to Malawi, Africa. And uh, it's, you know, he's able to do exceeding abundantly all the way I could ever imagine. And uh, it's a blessing. So uh, any questions about what's going on with the campaigns or, you know, oh, I need to stop for one quick second. Uh, basically, what we try to do is, like the, the video said, is try to provide all the logistical planning of the campaign. So basically, somebody shows up, let's say, in Chicago, and everything's taken care of from that point forward. So all the hotels and food and we go to a restaurant, and you just go in and you eat, and, and uh, it's all taken care of. Because we want to we wanna get a person, it's a big enough deal for, let's say, go to Africa, for example, to get somebody out of their comfort zone, leave the comforts of the United States, to spend uh, 24 hours of traveling on planes to get there. That's big enough for anyone. But once we get there, all we want you to do is to come to the morning meeting at 9, get some preaching, get encouraged, head out in the streets from 10 to 5 o'clock, come back, freshen up, go out to eat, and then repeat, and then repeat, and repeat, and just go and just hand out the Word of God. And the reason I'm burdened for that is I know what God did for me when I was over in Russia that first time and in all the campaigns after that. But we're always busy. We have responsibilities in this life, and that's part of life. But to just get away in a foreign country for 10 or 14 days, and the only thing you have to focus on is getting the Scripture out. God can get a hold of you. God can work in a person's life that it's hard to work on here because we have our responsibilities. And so that's a, you know, one, of this other, it, one of the other benefits to the campaigns is just getting people, provide an opportunity for them to go somewhere and just serve God nonstop for 10 or 14 days and see what the Lord can do in your life. So um, any questions about anything? anything? Yeah, from Malawi is expensive because we start out with a $2,000 airline ticket. And so uh, the cost for that one is $3,400 from Chicago. And that, uh, those run from, a, we fly out on a Monday morning, and it goes through the follow, uh, two weeks later on a Sunday. So it's kind of a longer time. And then the Mexico ones are, uh, I think we priced those at $1,550. And that we fly out on a Friday and come back on a week later on the following Monday. And uh, those include a $600 airline credit. So if you fly out of Cincinnati, uh, you might be less than that. It might be more than that. But there's a $600 airline credit built into that price. So, and that, again, includes everything once you get there. Um, for Malawi, we get traveler's insurance for everybody, just in case. Uh, for Mexico, we don't. But we get, in case you get sick, it has to be you know, go to the hospital in South Africa or something, which thankfully has never happened. So uh, any, any other questions? Yes, sir. We like to have them be over 18. Um, it, with special consideration, we'll take them under 18. Uh, but in, we've never, um, we've, 
you know, some, a couple times the young, younger people have come in the past, and then I have to have a like, guardianship of them and to get them into in the country and that sort of thing. So it's kind of case-by-case -case basis under that. Now, if a parent wants to take their 16-year-old, you know, that's fine. It's up to them, and that's their responsibility there. So, yeah. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Right. I'd say a couple months. Uh, if you don't have a passport, you need to apply for that. That's the first step in saying yes to God is, is getting the passport. Um, so you, you have that. As far as vaccines, you can research those, and that's up up to you what you want to get, uh, what they do recommend highly. And I've done myself every time I've gone there is uh, take malaria medication um, for the, you know for malaria. That's very common. We go in the dry season, thankfully. But still, there's mosquitoes. So to answer your question, you know, um, usually these campaigns fill up fairly quick. April's filled up. August is filling up. Um, so, you know, at least a couple months. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Well, uh, we've tried to find a decent hotel. Uh, the, in, in that video where you saw the backdrop of... Uh, a lot of similar backdrops are young ladies. I'm from Baptist Church. That was at the hotel. Uh, it's going to be, in Africa, it's going to be the equivalent of a Motel 6 that's need in, in need of some work, maybe. <laughs> no, it's, you know, that, see, here's it. We tried, and, but that's all they have, you know. Um, and so, we, you know, here's the thing. You keep everyone well-rested, get some air conditioning, and get some food for them, good food, and then, you know, you're more equipped to work, keep the troops well-fed and, and happy. <laughs> how, do you, like, how do you guys arrange the food? Do you have somebody cooking there? Do you have natives or, like, you know, uh, folks in the yeah. country doing that? Well, right. Um, Brother Robinson, he and his men go out, and they make all the, uh, the uh, do all the logistical work for that, check out the restaurants. Uh, this last time in Blontyre, we had uh, a caterer come in, which is probably the best thing we ever did. She came in and brought lunch back every day to the, uh, to the hotel there we ate there so it, it varies uh, but otherwise all that's prearranged ahead of time and various hotels they check out or I'm sorry restaurants that they check out or know about and so that we go like we a lot of times we'll pick this say two menu items do you want chicken or do you want chicken or <laughs> you want chicken or do you want this kind of chicken um, and so if you, you know, so they have it all pre-ordered ahead of time and uh, breakfast, we always try to get a hotel, no matter where we are, where they have breakfast at the hotel. That way you can get up at your leisure or not have breakfast, whatever you want, but as long as you're at the morning meeting by 9, everybody gets something to eat before they head on the streets. And then we break for lunch um, in you know, various, like the big capital city, like Blontyre, had actually had fast food places around of sorts. And so we can go and get food there. So. But they, you know, missionaries, you know, like Brother Robinson, he's been there a long time, and those men, and they know exactly where to go and where not to go as far as the food and the safety and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, sir. Now, if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, uh, is it Malawi? Malawi, correct. Is that There's um, three, four main cities. There's, we, his, where Brother Robinson's base is Mizuzu, way up in the north part. It's a real long country, about 400 miles long, not very wide, maybe about 50 miles wide. So he is up in Mizuzu. That had a population, maybe 150, 200,000. Then we did the next one in, in uh, the capital city, Lilongwe, and that has about probably a million. And then we did one just recently in Blontyre, which is about another million. 
Uh, and in fact, that, those two cities are so big, we could easily go back there again. Uh, and then there's another city, Zamba. But, and that's probably it. But as you drive on their uh, road, uh, you know, between, you know, down the, down the road, you see all these people walking out on the, on the highway. But there's nothing around. Well, there's little tiny villages everywhere all around. And there's also villages of like, oh, maybe 30 to 50,000 people. And so our next plan is to not only hit the big cities, but have a more mobile operation where it's not going to be the big sound stage and all that. It's going to be something really simple. Go into a little town of 20,000, you know, hit the whole town and uh, have a little simple stage set up. And you go to a town like that, we're the only, there's nothing else going on. So they're going to come to the meeting. And so that's our kind of phase two is to go into some of the smaller villages outlying areas to reach. So yeah, to answer your question, most of the countries rule very, very poor. It's among the, Malawi is among the fifth poorest nations in the world. Uh, but ironically, it's expensive to do things there because gas is nine, ten dollars a gallon. Um, a lot of things, hotels are almost as expensive as here. The food's almost as expensive as here. If you want to live like they live and eat sema, which is this uh, ground up corn, makes grits seem like a flavor explosion. If you want to eat that all the time, uh, then you can live cheap. Otherwise, if you want something decent, but yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, that's where it's been. It's because of the rainy season and the, and the, and the heat. April is just getting over rainy season, and then uh, by uh, August, September, it can get start getting rainy again. Yeah, yeah. No, Mexico is a little different. Um, depends on where we're going. We've done. We've tried to do some in the summer for students, like in Mexico. So if, if a student wanted to go, and we've done that before. It's, if you go in northern Mexico, we can't really go in the winter. So it's too cold for the Mexicans. Uh, they won't come to the park. But like we're doing two in the Yucatan this winter, where it's still gonna be warm. It's gonna be in the 80s. And so um, I told my wife, I said, it's gonna be really weird taking my roller bag and heading down the driveway on a mission trip with you know, three feet of snow alongside the driveway. So I <laughs> can't say I'll regret that. But um, so it kind of varies on the, where we're going. Yes, sir. Sure. How much criticism do you get for doing altar calls in Africa? And then how do you mitigate that? Because I've been there and I and I know what happens a lot of times. Uh -huh. how, do, how do you how do you address that issue? What what do you refer to with criticism? You mean so from criticism meaning give out altar call in Africa and every I mean you have three, four hundred people come. Yep. And then we say three, four hundred people got saved. Right. Got it. Some of that. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, if I stood up there and preaching, and then if I said something to the fact there's 3,000 people out there says, hey, anyone want to accept Jesus in your life? Come up front. They're going to come up. And that's why they tell them over and over, only come up if you truly repent them, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so that's why you saw those chairs as women on one side and men on the other. So they get them up in those other, other circles up there, and then they have some ladies, talk to ladies, of course, and men talk to men, and go over the whole thing again with them, make sure they clearly understand it. And then after, and then they, they either, maybe they pray in their seat, but just make sure if they want to pray again, they can pray again. But that's really most likely where they get saved is up in those little circles up front. But yeah, Brother Robinson is fully aware of that because you could, you, could, you could have everyone come forward that has two feet, you know, and that's not the point. 
Um, and so they're very, he's very wise with dealing with that. And then with the discipleship group, too, a lot of we said, how can he possibly spend 12 weeks, six hours a day for the discipleship? Um, the culture is such that the things that we take for granted here, we're just taking somebody off the street and discipling them, they have no concept of. They've been uh, inundated with, you know, the prosperity gospel, with charismatic junk, all these things. They got the tribal stuff, they got the witch doctors, they have all these things going on. You got to kind of clean up the playing field first, then we can start building on it. And so that's why it takes 12 weeks. But yeah, they're very careful about the altar calls and how, how that all goes about. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yes, ma'am. Um, are you going to be adding any other countries? And also, how do you deal with the safety of Americans in other countries? Okay. Two parts. One, we're, you know, like I said, my little finite mind, I thought just Mexico and Lord just keeps opening the door to Brazil. And then I never dreamed. There's nothing in me that ever wanted to go to Africa. <laughs> if somebody, I, I like hunting. If somebody would have said 10 years ago, hey, here's a $10,000 safari, it's like, oh, you got one to Alaska instead? Well, now the flight attendants recognize me. I mean, it's crazy. But so, um, so that was, a, that was uh, Africa. Uh, I just found out when I was down in Mexico, we got a contact down in Peru that I'm praying about maybe doing something there. Uh, they seem really excited about uh, something going on. So we're not limited to any one area. Uh, I was in Papua New Guinea in 2017 with the Baptist International Missions distributing Bibles in school and schools there. I've been burdened for that. And so I, we're not restricting to answer your question in any one area. Regarding the safety, uh, we pray and we also, you know, rely on the wisdom and, and, uh, of the missionary that's in country and they know where to go, where not to go. And even if we're doing something in, you know, in this country, I mean, you go out by twos, keep an eye on each other. We tell the teams, look, if you're on the street and I'm here and you're in that corner, if you're going to go run and grab a Coke, you tell me so I know where you're at, that sort of thing. Uh, we have little tracky units we use. Uh, they don't work, unfortunately, in Malawi, but Brazil they work, and Mexico. And so a lot of times we'll give those to people, and anyone has little team leaders, have the app on their phone, they can follow where people are, and it helps with scripture re uh, replenishment and that sort of thing. So, Yes, sir? When someone wants to go on one of these trips, is it important for them to spend some time maybe learning the language and the culture and things like that before going? Is that something you help them with? It's, yeah, that's mostly up to the person. I say the culture honestly sounds strange, but the culture is even more to learn about, more important to learn than, than the language. In Malawi, they know English. And so that's really nice. You can, they're not like really, really conversant, but you could, most people, you could probably lead the Lord in the street. But the main purpose is just get the scripture out. Get the scripture out. In Malawi, we have like one interpreter for every two people, and that's not as much for the language, it's just for safety, where you know, they'll, they'll want to buy, sell you something, want to do, you know, if there's a Malawan with me, they're not going to hassle me. <clears throat> so we have a person with, but otherwise the culture is the main thing, just to kind of put in your mind where they're coming from, you know, what they feel is offensive, that sort of thing, is try to, you know, um, you know, get, figure, figure that out. But yeah, we try to help with some of that, and we go all through all that. The first day we get there, we have orientation, and we go over a lot of that in, in, uh, in, during that time, so... And I gives part of it, and the missionary gives part of it. And like Brazil, you know, not as big a deal, but Malawi, it's, it's, it's a different world for sure. Yeah. Did you do two to Malawi, spring and fall? Yes, sir. Okay. Yep, and two to Mexico this winter, right. So this is the first time we've ever done four. A little advantageous, but right from the start, I, 
I have a little advisory board at, at church, and I says, I don't want to put God in a box and say we can only do one a year. If the Lord opens up the door to do more, then he'll provide the resources to do more. And uh, I say resources, it's like back home, we have a guy that does a website. We have a, another guy that uh, did the video. We have a lady that does all the, you send in, you can't, uh, the, the, the application and there's spreadsheets and fills in all the information, does the airline tickets. So we have a whole lot of people doing a lot of stuff to, in order to make 90 people go next year. So it takes, takes a lot of work. So, yes, sir. Sure. Uh, thankfully, the John Romans uh, are provided by Bearing Precious Seed, so the cost of those is, is covered. Uh, most of the time, the, the containers have been sh uh, paid for to ship over there, but it does cost about $8,000 to ship a container. We, as far as additional costs, there's each, each mission trip, each campaign we do in, in Africa, we usually run in a red about six to $15,000 because it just costs a lot of money to print all the invitations, let's say, 200,000 and 250,000 invitations to rent the soundstage, all that. Uh, so there's costs involved with that. Uh, the discipleship training takes a lot of, of uh, takes money as well because they have to rent a little hotel room type thing to have all of them come to. Uh, the men have to travel back and forth, four or five hour drive. So that, that costs money. We've been able to reimburse the missionary for all those expenses and actually pay for all the discipling. What we'd like to do is there's a... He's, he's planning, and we like to do is working with a missionary to, when these churches start, is provide them with a shell of a building. In other words, we'll build a little 30 by 40 roughly, a good foundation, just some posts, and then the steel roof. The sides are all open. And the reason, our reasoning behind that, I've just gone talking to a missionary this morning about it, he says, if, if he feels, and if the people, the, the men over there, the leaders over there feel that's appropriate, then we would be able, we'd love to be able to provide that for them, just a bare minimum where they have a place to meet. We're not going to build them you know, all the walls. We're not going to buy all the windows. We're not going to do all that because we want them to have a part in it. So we're trying to reach uh, some type of thing where we can provide them something where they can keep worship out of the rain in a small little simple building, and it's got a sturdy foundation. It's got sturdy posts and a decent roof. It's not a thatched roof that will get soggy in the, in, the, in the monsoons in place to meet. And then once they get going and get established, they can start closing in and bricking in and perimeter and that sort of thing. So we can build one of those for probably about $8,000 over there. And so that's kind of a phase, you know, phase three is thinking in the back of mind, okay, we got all these scriptures out. Thousands of people are getting saved. Hundreds and hundreds are getting discipled. There's four or five churches started over there. We can't just leave them hanging. So we want to be able to provide that for them. And so, Lord, like I said, Lord's open the doors is, you know, amazingly, but that's kind of one of the monetary things we're looking at there. Anything else? Yes, sir. Good question. Um, <clears throat> a 20-foot container, you can get a 40-foot, but you're limited by weight. So a 40-foot doesn't hold much more scripture. A 20-foot container holds about 280,000 of just John Roman. So the first container that's going out of Milford here pretty quick is going to have 280 on it. The next one's going to have 200, and then it's, we're going to put New Testaments and Bibles on there as well, and they, of course, take up more room with each container because I'm tired of running out of scriptures in Malawi. Uh, we're going to put a half pallet of Fellowship Track Leagues on there, which is a quarter of a million, 
And uh, we're getting at least 100,000 chick tracks and putting on each container as well. So I'm excited. There's a lot, of, a lot of scriptures going into that country. The country is only 10 million people. And by the end of next year, Lord willing, we'll have a million John Romans in there. So it's a, it's a low dent. It's a low dent. Yes, sir? Uh, three months is getting down on the wire, so we're going to try to ship the first one here right after the first year or end of December, and then the next one after that. It just takes, it takes a lot of lead time because, you know, I asked Bearing Precious Seed, and then they, they, those presses run, boom, they're done, you know, done in a day, two days. But then they have to all be collated, and it takes, man, I forget how many man hours, a lot, thousands of man hours to assemble a container of scriptures where a bunch of people just staple them together. So... Yeah, so yeah, it takes in, in Malawi, it takes at least three months lead time. In Mexico, about a month. But we still, even in Mexico, we start way early. They're, those are ready to ship in a couple weeks here. We have 10 pallets going down there. And there's about 20,000 on the pallet. So you know those big pallets, of course, right? You visualize a pallet of John Romans like that. And so one day over there, we can give out over three of them. So it's crazy. Any other questions? All right, a lot of good questions, guys. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, let's... Uh, can I get a... Brother, can I get a water? There's somebody. <clears throat> um, let's turn your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5. All right, Romans chapter 5. For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for all you've done in everyone's life here, Father. I pray that you would just speak to your people this morning. I pray that everything here would be edifying and glorifying to you what you've done in my life and the lives of many people, Father. And I just pray that you might speak to your people here. They love you. They're here on a Sunday morning. They want to hear from you. Lord, I pray you'd speak to them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, probably real common, real common verse there that caught my attention a while back. And if we look, it says, but the last part of the verse in particular says, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. If you look at the Bible throughout human history, there is always one man that had a big part. I mean, you go to Noah, he built the ark. Abraham offered up his son Isaac. Joseph, it was talked about in Sunday school, is excellent. Brother, I enjoyed, I spent time down in Mexico, we had a preacher's conference, and it went, I think it was four days. So I listened for, I think, 18 messages through an interpreter. So man, that was just straight English is great. That was a blessing. <laughs> That was really good. I was homesick. I was homesick. Um, but, and, and so you have uh, Joseph, who went through all those temptations, never was bitter, and his obedience, what it did for, for, the, for, uh, for the Lord, for God. Moses, of course, led the children of Israel through the wilderness. David, obedient as a youth, and killed a giant, and was a sweet psalmist of Israel. And Daniel would not bow down to those gods. And you look at all the examples in the Bible, and there's one example, of course, that stands out, and that's Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he was obedient, even obedient to death on the cross. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And 6,000 years ago, we know Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They had one simple command. Just don't eat of that fruit. And they ate of it, and of course mankind fell. For 4,000 years, God wanted to be reconciled with his creation. And for there was the law, and there was the sacrificing, and, and thousands and thousands of gallons of blood was spilt in that desert. Still couldn't have the reconciliation for 4,000 years. And then one day in, in heaven, there came a time where perhaps God the Father looked at the Son and said, Son, it's time. It's time to go down there. It's time to be that sacrifice. I want to be reconciled with my creation. And Lord Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant. And he, he, was, he wasn't born in the city of kings. He was born in Bethlehem. In a barn. We call it a manger. It was a barn. There's animals there. He went down the lowest of low. He did that for you and I. And then he was raised in a town of Nazareth. You ever know why they said Jesus of Nazareth? There wasn't, oh, uh, Jesus of you know, this great city. Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was the offscouring of the cities. It still is. My daughter and son-in-law are missionaries there. And they were asked, why are you living in Nazareth? He wasn't even raised in the town. He was Gary, Indiana, he was raised in. He wasn't raised in a reputable city. He did that for you and I. He went and lived a perfect and sinless life. And you think about that, that he was in subjection to his parents in all things. Can you imagine the Lord, and I don't know how much God was in him, how much he knew, but can you imagine he's, he's, Joseph's teaching him to do the, the woodworking. He's got the block plane. He says, no, son, you just got to hold it just like this and just, okay, sounds good, Dad. I got it. He was in subjection to his parents in all things. All through his life, sinless, perfect. He was, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Thank you, brother. You know the verse probably, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For seeing we have such a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore go boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. But he was tempted in all points like as us, yet was sinless. You know how hard we struggle with sin and our struggle to do right? He struggled that way. Yet he did that for you and I. He was obedient unto the Father. And then we turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Of course, that verse is talking about the Lord. And 5 verse 21 says, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin. Now you can look at the crucifixion and look at that horrible torture and look where he went and just the, the physical pain that had to be done to him, the, the beating. The, the whipping, carrying the cross, lay down on the ground, have the nails poke through his wrists, and then flop down on the ground and hanging there, shamed. And we look at that and what a horrific thing it is. 
But I think even more horrific is when that sin was laid on him. For he became sin for us who knew no sin. And that's all the obedience that allows us to go to heaven. You know how you get that nasty, disgusting feeling when you sin? He had never known that. He never knew that feeling. He never knew what it was like to feel guilt. He never knew what it was like to be sin. He never knew what it was like to be wrong. And all the sin of all of mankind, for all the creation, all the hideous things you could ever imagine, and all those that you don't even, can't even imagine, were laid on him, on that perfect, pure Son of God. At that moment, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And without that act of obedience, there would be no salvation. So we're going to go over a few things this morning here. As he our example of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he went through on that cross, and how he is obedient in his whole life. The question is, what about you? Are you that one this morning? How can you be obedient? How can I be obedient and help others be righteous? Well, the first, <clears throat> the first thing is, the greatest act of obedience that we can make is the obedience of salvation. The Bible is very clear. It says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's not a whole, as you well know, there's not a whole lot of ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way. The Bible says, uh, John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Maybe you're in here this morning and you don't know where you're going when you die. Don't worry about the rest of the message. This message is this. You have to be obedient to what Jesus Christ did for you in that cross. The only thing that will keep you from that is pride. Pride is the only thing. And it's a matter of receiving Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the most important thing a person can ever do. Back in January of 1988, I am so grateful that I realized that. And I knelt down beside my bed, and as best I knew how, I received Christ as my Savior. And I know I got saved at that point. And if I knew then what was going to happen in the next 30-some years, whew, it, would have been a, it would have been a wild experience. I have no idea. I have no idea. But people, is the greatest thing, greatest and most important act of obedience you could ever make is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. The second one, turn over to 1 John uh, 2.15. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. No, that's good. So love the Lord that... I jumped ahead a little bit there, but the second one is to love the Lord that God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now, in 1 John 2.15, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, <clears throat> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know what this world wants from you? It wants your love. It wants your attention. You know what Jesus, the Lord wants from you? He wants your love. He wants your attention. Bible says to love the Lord to God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. That's the first and greatest act of obedience you can do as a Christian. Do you love God this morning? I know you believe this book, but do we live by it? Right? But to love the Lord to God with all their heart 
and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The Bible says, For what shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? People, I've seen that little video there where those people come forward to get saved. I've seen that 30 times on the video. I still have to, I still get choked up. I don't care who's playing this afternoon in football. I really don't care. But man, every time I see that, it flips my switch. Because those souls get saved. There's a time back during the COVID mess that man, I've been, uh, you know, since 1999 going on mission trips yearly overseas. I've been on lots of countries, almost every country in Eastern Europe, some multiple times. I love handing out those scriptures. love having a stack of John Romans in my hand and being on the street and getting them out. And I'm sitting in my office. I got you know, I saved some from various campaigns and stuff. I got a handful of them. I thought to myself, am I ever going to do this again? Am I ever, this thing's a mess out here, man. Am I ever going to be able to go out and do anything? And get the word of God out overseas or anywhere like that? Or is it all done, God? What is this? I was, I was, I would say scared, right? Where was, yeah, I was concerned. I was like, Lord, what is this? And so that even instilled in me, slightly, I don't know how this got in here, but that instilled in me even more the urgency for us to get the gospel to these people. We don't know what's coming down the pipe. People might say, oh, you don't know what's happening in Israel. No, I don't, neither do you. But I know this. There's lost souls out there. They're dying and on their way to hell. And until we hear the trumpet call, we'll keep planning. We'll keep going. Um, uh, Hope was in uh, 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 Brazil with us. Everybody thought we were crazy to do that. We had to wear masks both ways. 35 people got tested negative both ways. I think, oh, you should have just waited a little while. Why? We got 70,000 scriptures out. Dozens of souls got saved. Why wait? Not only that, but if we did wait, we'd have to do it the next year, and that took place in Malawi. Do what you can. I was instilled in my heart. We got to do as much as we can for as long as we can while we still can. And just keep going, just keep going. But to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. That is the first and great commandment. It's the first way we can show our obedience to, to the Lord. The second is to love his word. Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hidden, thy word have I hid my heart that I might not sin against you. How can you resist temptation? How can we know how to live our lives? I was I got saved at 26 years old. I was 26 years old. I was a computer analyst. <laughs> I had a lot of knowledge that way. I had a lot of drive, a lot of initiative, but I still was 26 years old. It took me 26 years of my life to try and figure out in my head, oh, that's how you get to heaven. I couldn't even figure out how to get to heaven for 26 years. What made me think I could raise children? What made me think I could, I could have a, know how to treat my wife on my own without this book? There's nothing. Amen. There's no wisdom in this world, people. You know what they want you to think? Is to trust them and follow them. Not this book. Everything in that world draws away from this book. We have to love his word. As you know, I travel a lot. And my wife, now we can connect via text message and stuff. But first trips to Russia, there was none of that. You know, and it was just gone for two weeks or more. And so she'd send notes. Now imagine if I sent, if, I, if she sent a bunch of notes. And I get home and she picks me up at the airport after two and a half weeks. And she says, oh, you didn't, did you read the notes? I said, oh, yeah, I, uh, no idea. I, I was busy, you know. I just set them aside. It'd be kind of a quiet trip home from the airport. You know, the Lord's been gone now for a couple thousand years. He left us his notes. 
left us his book. Do we love it? Do we apply it in our lives? An act of obedience is to love the Lord. I must love his word. That's the only way we have. I need a light onto my path. I need a word of God. I need it. I know how to, uh, when I was raising children, how to raise my family. I needed that. I need the word of God. People, we need it in our lives. It's the only way we can keep straight in this world with the craziness that's out there is to get in the Bible. All right, so we love, the, love his word. We had to preach the gospel. Let's turn over to, uh, let's see here. Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. Let's see here. Let's go back a little ways. You, know, you probably know the story. There was a maniac. And uh, verse 6, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice. Verse 7, and said, What have I to do to thee, with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God, thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, the unclean spirit. And he said, what is, and he asked him, verse 9, what is thy name? And he answered him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And he go and he sends them in the herd of swine. And later in verse 15, and they came to Jesus, seeing him that was possessed with the devil and had his legion sitting clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Never quite understand that, why they were afraid, but they were afraid this man was sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they that saw it, verse 16, saw and told them how he befell to them that was possessed with the devil and also was concerning the swine. And began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed of the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. So here's this man. That was a maniac. He was possessed of the devils, and God cleansed him of all that. And he wanted to go with Jesus and, and, and be, be with him, which is an admirable thing. And he tells him, no. He says, go tell your friends and family what great things God had done for you. People, haven't, hasn't God done great things in your life? Amen. Hasn't God done great things in your life and the lives maybe of your children, your grandchildren? I can't believe what God has done in my life. Amen. And you know, it's, there's a hundred people, people that could do these campaigns better than me. There's a hundred people. Their vessels are better. They're more talented. But you know, all I did, by the grace of God, was get in a good church. When those doors were open, I was there. We have six children. That's six. In any language. The question never came up in our house. Are we going to church tonight? That question was never asked. When we were on vacation, a lot of times we'd find a church on Sunday morning if there's a decent one around. That's, that's all it is. That's it. It wasn't supernatural. It wasn't all these things. It was coming through those doors every time they're open. And the Lord keeps opening the paths and opening the paths and opening the paths. And you see... Then, but that's the least we can do is tell others about Jesus Christ. 
And that's how he, he didn't want him to go on the mission field. He didn't want to come with him. He, didn't want, he says, look, you just need to go tell your family. Tell them what great things God has done. You know what they want to do out there? You know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to forget all about that. You know how often do we, God bless, this brother came up this morning and, and, and tell him that blessing he had in the, uh, in the prison this morning. That's great, man. And you know, we, I don't, I should. We should write those down when they happen in our lives because how often that happens. And then months later we forget, you know. But if we just had all the things that God does for us, people, and the joy we have. Do you remember what it was like before you were saved? How many, how many of you got saved later in life and not saved as a child? How many? I remember roughly about half of you. I worried about death. I'd go to a funeral. There's this guy laying there, a girl laying there. i say, hmm, wonder where they're at. Yeah. I never knew. I remember thinking, I thought, this, what is it about all this? I remember sitting there. Let's just say it was an un, unclear state of mind in front of my dad. And I was standing there and says, Dad, what is this all about? What's this all about, this world? You know, I, I had no answers. I was 26 years old when I got saved. My wife and I were making good money. I had a brand new house. I had a new truck. And I wasn't like I was living under a bridge, but I thought, is this all there is? I've already accomplished the American dream at 26. Ironically, the very night I knocked on that guy's house and basically invited myself to church, my wife is sitting at home the very same night. Again, brand new house. 26. No, I was... Yeah, I got the house since 22. And she's sitting there watching that old show about those people in the bar, I won't even say the name of it, but, you know, this comedy show thing. And she's sitting there thinking, is this all there is? I'm sitting here, I have all this stuff. I'm watching people in a bar on TV. She thought the Lord put on her heart the same night as I did. And then I met the Pastor Stevens, the other man from church, and, and got saved. But, man, that was a great thing. I was, okay, I'll just say this. I was the point people before I was saved when my wife, when I met my wife, her family, even though they're all Roman Catholic, they were worried about what kind of guy she met. Because I was that guy. Then I got saved and they worried about what kind of guy she married. <laughs> it changed for the good, thank the Lord. But people, we got to tell others about Jesus Christ. You know, it's not a matter about getting on a plane. It's a matter of just going down the street. It's a matter of just getting the tracks. I love these little track holders. You guys probably have them, but my tracks always get messed up, and I don't, guys don't have purses. So, you know, summertime, you're all sweaty and stuff. I love these little things. If I don't have this, then I don't have the tracks. And uh, that's how we just get the gospel out. Just get it out. We never know what's going to happen with those tracks. I love Brother Spurgeon's track. I love giving those to young guys. I like those. But <clears throat> tell others about Jesus Christ. Uh, what else here? The Bible says in Acts 20:18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. People need their eyes open. And the next is to have, if you, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Will you be that one? Will you be the one to hand them a gospel track? Will you be the one, like the pastor did to that man here, you know, tell them about Jesus Christ? Will you be that one? It's up to each individual here. Each one of us has different spheres of influence of people around, people come in contact with. We never know. We never know when we get to heaven. What will happen with the tracks you get out? Amen. It's not about, I mean, I'm glad we can do this. I'm thankful to do this. It's a great opportunity. But the other 50 days a year, 50 weeks a year, I'm home. Well, most, well, less, I mean, 
if you go on a trip, the other 50 weeks a year, you're home. And that's where the real mission field is. And that's what the other reason we like doing this is to have people come back and be fired up to do more in their hometown. I don't know how many times God has rebuked me. I'll go to the store, I'm in a hurry, get the gas, whatever, get a Gatorade, and I'm walking out the car, just give them a track. So, okay, okay. You know, you can travel 10,000 miles, but you can't give that to that lady, really? I don't know how many times he rebukes me about that. And it's sad, he shouldn't have to. But people we need to get the gospel. Next is have a testimony for our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over a very, pot, very uh, common verse, of course, Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, <coughs> holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do we really do that? You ever think about the present part? You ever think about that you present your body's living sacrifice? We have, I have, my wife and I have three daughters. They all, two of them got married the same summer. That was traumatic. Um, but, boy, I learned something. You know, brides, they, they think about that wedding a lot. They put a lot into that presentation, that wedding. And yet, we're going to get married to the Lord one day. How are we presenting our bodies to be a living sacrifice for him? How are we presenting ourselves? Are we having a good testimony for the Lord? Um, are, we, are we conformed to this world or are we conformed to the things of God? Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, people look at the mission trips and they, you know, I've been to a lot of places and, and that, and they look, wow, that's quite a sacrifice. Yeah, I don't, I don't view it as that. I view it as. The Lord's allowed me to engage in these opportunities that I have never dreamed would happen. People, I've seen things and witnessed things that one out of 10,000 Christians haven't seen. Who has seen 500 people stand up in a communist meeting hall? Who has seen a bus stop in traffic in Russia and a bus driver allow me to hand them out to everyone on this bus? Who's seen 5,000 people in a poor country hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's not a sacrifice. It's a privilege, brother and sisters. It's a privilege. I've got to go on mission trips in foreign countries with every one of my kids. I can look over there and see my 14-year-old daughter handing out John Romans in Romania. I can see Caleb, my son, maybe you know him, he plays piano, lots of other stuff, playing music at the big, big opera house in Bulgaria, playing the music in Malawi. That's a sacrifice? Really? Not to me. The, all I did, people, was put that vessel out there. I said, Lord, it's not much, but you can have it. And the Lord, Lord does it, people. The Lord does it. Amen. All we have to do is say yes to him. The young people in here, listen, I didn't get saved until I was 26. I'm a slow starter here. I'm trying to catch up. I didn't get my first mission trip until I was 38. I was talking to my youngest son, Peter, and about my son, Caleb, and the pastor's son, Daniel, and how they, they've taken on preaching a lot in church and trying to work them in is, uh, you know, taking over the church someday because pastor and I are both old. And, uh, and I said, man, those guys can preach. And I said, man, it took me a long time to get to that level. And he says, Dad, he says, they've already heard you were 40 years old before you heard as many sermons as they have heard already in their lives. 
It's true. I had a whole lot of baggage, people. I had a whole lot of junk that had to be cleared out and, and get that junk off the hard drive and just keep cleaning off, cleaning off, cleaning off, cleaning off. Finally, we can get the good stuff on here. But young people, oh, man. You got, you got a whole life ahead of you. Amen. You got a clean slate. That is a blessing to have that kind of testimony. With that kind of testimony, it is a blessing. It is, it is a wonderful thing. That's why last, uh, this spring, we had that one lady who says, well, Brother Darling, let me in to last minute. I kept having all these people. We try to limit the size of the trip logistically to a certain number, but these students, bless their hearts, they kept calling. Hey, can I come? Can I come? Can I come? Yeah. I'm not going to say no to a student. We'll figure it out. Okay, but how can I say no to somebody that's going to Bible school? And if they go on that mission trip, that could be the most influential thing that's happened in their life. Yes, go. Yes, we'll make room for you. Yes. Because those, that age group between 15 and 25, I believe the devil's after that age group more than any other age group. You know why? Think of the decisions you're making. Everything from school, career, who are you going to marry, where are you going to live. You're at these crossroads like this. And the devil's on them with a spiritual pressure and temptations. It's strong, man. It's strong. I raised six kids. It's strong. And that's why I need to pray for them. And that's why if they can get away and get on a mission trip, where God can go hold their heart for a while, it might do something. It might do something. All right. So have a testimony for our Savior. Let me wrap it up here. As soon as I have a drink. That sounded bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. I had, a, I had a 40-year-old flashback there, 35-year-old flashback. Wow. I'm not red from Mexico, I don't think, right now. It's not Mexico. <laughs> I forgot the of water. You knew what I meant. Come on. Come on. All right. So by the obedience of one, so many being righteous. Many years ago, there's a guy that uh, was a great witness, and he had a barbershop. And he had witnessed his small town. He had witnessed everybody in town. And he just got down on his knees that morning. He prayed. He says, God, just please send somebody new my way that day, today. I want to be a witness to somebody else. The whole day went by. And no, he came. He goes home that night. And about 7 in the evening, this guy knocks on his door. Selling insurance and securities and stuff. Something like that. Anyway, this guy invites him, Larry his name, his name is, invites him to church. And uh, he goes to church, and he get, a couple days later he gets saved. You know who that is. It was me. I already blew it because I said part of my testimony. But you see, that man was obedient to God. And he got down on his knees that morning, and he prays, God, send somebody my way. And I came knocking on his door. Isn't that weird? Whoever came knocking on your door and they end up coming to church. Really? Like reverse visitation here. And, but that man was obedient. And I thank God for him. Because I am so thankful that I got saved when I did. And my wife had a tender heart and she got saved a couple months later. Because it's changed my life, obviously. It changed my eternity. It changed my kids. My kids, we were able to raise them all in a Christian home. <coughs> I was able to go to the juvenile detention center with my son to minister and hold Bible studies instead of going to visit my son at juvenile detention center. Every time I went, man, I thought of that. Every time you sit in the truck and we were driving there, I thought, thank you, Lord. Because of the obedience of one man. 
There was a man in Malawi, I'll close with this, and it's, I'll pray, even if I get Alzheimer's, I won't forget it. But we had a big meeting, and he, uh, was, I could tell, he was kind of sitting off a distance. He's sitting on the outskirts, he's sitting in a chair. And uh, thank, it's so blessing going there, they know most, they, most of them know English. And uh, I tell he's paid attention, but he didn't go forward. I went over to him, and I said, uh, do you understand what's preached? He goes, yeah, I understand. He goes, uh, you have any questions? He goes, uh, yeah. He says, I'm just, I'm just too bad. I said, I'm a bad man. He says, I, 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 I can't do what they're doing. I'm too bad a man. And I explained a plan of salvation to him again. And he understood it. I says, would you like to pray right now? And I, and I love it when they pray by themselves. And I try to get them to do that. Because, you know, otherwise they'll just follow along with you. So we're sitting down in these chairs, knee to knee. And I, I said, you got to pray in your heart what I'm saying. But you got to meet with all your heart. So I prayed, the sinner's prayer went through that. And my head stole down. And immediately, as soon as I'm done saying that, I feel his hand on my shoulder. And he says, God, thank you for sending this man over here. Because now I know he and I will be in heaven forever. That's a blessing, man. A sacrifice? (laughs) That's not a sacrifice. That's a blessing. But you know what it takes? Let's take God having our heart open, having our heart right, and just being obedient. By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Are you that one this morning? Pastor, go ahead.